DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time to talk NBA Draft with Ben Anderson. You've heard him here right on The Zone doing jazz pre-half and post-game stuff. He writes for kslsports.com. He had a mock draft all purdied up and ready to go. And then teams started making trades, including the Jazz and the Knicks. The Jazz have traded from 23 to the, they traded 23 to the Knicks and got back 27 and 38. Ben, good morning. Thanks for having me. Ben, did that mess up your mock draft? Uh, you know what? It didn't. And actually, I'm not going to do a mock draft. I did kind of a big board just with an idea of players, but I haven't studied that much of what I think hey. you know, the Knicks were going to do at 27. I'm not really all that worried about what their plans are, nor do I really care what happens in the top 10. I don't think the Jazz are going uh, in that direction either. So you have a big board, but not a mock draft. A fine line, but I appreciate the distinction. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's more about looking at who's going to be available maybe after 15 because this draft does seem to flatten out. I think that's probably where that, that probably third tier of the draft starts. There's probably the top three guys and then maybe four through, I don't know, 10, 10 through 15, and then 16 through, oh, I don't know, 40 that I think is probably pretty even. So with this move that the Jazz did with the – a 27th pick trading down and then the 38th. I'm wondering how much do you think it all goes together and they really one move affects another. And what I mean by this is that, so you'll get the 27th kid, whoever that might be. And now you get the 38th, right? So you get two guys and you're not going to have to pay them a lot. So they'll be on your roster. Most likely we'll see about the 38th, maybe not, but probably. And then that, because you're paying relatively cheap amounts of money to those two will allow you then to maybe have some more money that you can use in terms of re-signing Clarks in, using the uh, mid-level exception, all that. So do you think that these moves this morning go together as part of the puzzle of a bigger piece? Yes, and I think that's very much how Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck operate, where they understand, hey, you know, the, the drop in guaranteed salary, because your draft pick holds a salary slot when you're, you know, negotiating deals and what type of money you have going into the offseason, uh, it, it does change that. And the, and the drop between the 23rd pick and the 27th pick isn't enormously significant, but we know the Jazz are working with pretty slim margins this offseason. So a few hundred thousand dollars can help one way or another. And then the second round draft pick, I'm not sure what cap hold they place and maybe it's none because they're non-guaranteed deals in the first place the jazz can wait until they sign jordan clarkson if they bring him back or negotiate rudy gobert's potential extension or sign donovan mitchell however they want to use these pieces and then you sign the second round pick after that and it might allow you more flexibility so i do think certainly that option could help the jazz and actually save them a little bit of money like you mentioned and give them more flexibility than if they'd kept the 23rd pick there's also the possibility that they could draft someone, Leandro Bolmaro, if I'm pronouncing his name right, an Argentinian who's going to play in Barcelona next year. Uh, they could draft him. There's a couple other foreign guys in that range. Uh, and obviously we don't know much about these guys. The uh, Pokosevsky, uh, the seven-footer who weighs about 200 pounds and is two years away from maybe being something, uh, big-time development project, and Theo Maladon. Any of these guys pique your interest, or will it be someone out of a U.S. college? Yeah, my thought of what the Jazz are doing here is there's a guy that they liked at 23 that in all the research they've done, all the intel they've gathered from around the NBA, is almost there's no chance he's going to be gone by 27. So they say, well, why not drop back, get the guy you like at 23, take him there, 
and then just add another asset. I mean, that's another thing that Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck have done, I think, in a pretty savvy manner, which is they're going to let a guy go or they're going to make a move anyways, and they figure out, well, what, what else can we get in this deal? And maybe the best example of that is, hey, they were going to let Derek Favors go and sign with the New Orleans Pelicans. And they said, well, why don't we just trade him to the Pelicans and see if we can get something back? What they ended up getting back was a second-round draft pick. Well, what did that second-round draft pick turn into? They added it into the Dante Exum deal to bring Jordan Clarkson back. And that was really just a throw-in in allowing Derek Favors to move. They didn't have to do it. New Orleans didn't have to do it. But the Jazz saw an opportunity and a window open where they could get an additional asset and use it down the road. That's something Dennis Lindsay, I think, does really, really well that maybe doesn't get a lot of attention because they're minor moves, they're small moves, but they have a lot of value on the back end. So my guess would be the Jazz, the guy they were really comfortable taking at 23, is going to be there at 27. And they said, why not add another value piece into it versus just saying, hey, let's just move back or let's just overdraft a guy based on his slot. All right. Well, then who did they like at 23? Now, I think there's a couple of names I would focus in on, and if you're a Pac-12 basketball fan, I, I think it's a, a few guys that I would look at. Okay, Tyler wait a minute. Bay. You just know when you do this, PK and I are going to interrupt with cheers if you mention a guy that either one of us has mentioned before. So just okay. prepare to be shocked and stunned. There's three guys I would really, and maybe four, there, but there's three guys I, w- I would uh, circle if I'm a Jazz fan. The first would be Tyler Bay from Colorado. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> Too hot. <laughs> <laughs> he's, you know, at, at worst, I think he's probably Andre Roberson, who's been in the NBA for a long time and is an elite defender and also came from Colorado. It's a little bit of a lazy comp. But he kind of might be Robert Covington. He's even got some weird kind of Draymond Green team defense uh, traits that, that, that really kind of would help the Jazz and, and where they were lacking defensively, but a freak athlete. It was a guard forward and led the Pac-12 in rebounding last year. That's a name I would look at. Terrell Terry who's the guard from Stanford, who kind of has shades of Trey Young in the way he plays. He's certainly not as good as Trey Young, but shot over 40% from three, uh, near 50% from the floor, almost 90% from the free throw line. He was just a freshman, but he really lit it up. He jumped up the draft board as much as anybody this year in college basketball. And then Zeke Naji, the, the big man out of Arizona, who has worked out for the Jazz. He talked about that a couple of days ago. Pretty versatile. Looks like he projects as a guy who can step out and spread the floor and hit the three. Might be a Kelly Olynyk type. So those are the types of guys I would start to focus on for the Jazz. And then maybe at 38, Peyton Pritchard, uh, the the guard from Oregon who played for four years and did nothing but win at Oregon. He's a winner, just kind of has a couple of weird things in his game. Big shots. Yeah, that guy just amazed me every time I saw him play. It was just just incredible. You think Josh Green's off the board? Then you didn't mention him. Yeah, Josh Green will be off the board at that point. I think he's probably late teens, early 20s. I think the earliest you're seeing him projected is probably Dallas at 18. And I think the latest you're seeing him projected really was maybe the Jazz at 23 Mm -hmm. if they had stayed there and and probably gone before that. PK, he mentioned your guy. Nothing, huh? You didn't want to play along. What what guy? He went to Stanford. You pumped uh, him up? Yes, you pumped him up. I was waiting for a reaction. He's, He's tiny. But he, I, I, he came on. I don't want to say he came out of nowhere, but the more I saw him play, the more I liked him. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's in the conversation for the best shooter in the draft. I mean, Sam Merrill's in that conversation. Aaron Neesmith from Vanderbilt's in that conversation. But as far as the ability to generate a shot of his own and hit it off the dribble, I mean, he's, Terrell Terry's as, as good as it gets. And he's, he's really intriguing. He's also worked out for the Jazz and is not a piece – that, that at all I would be surprised if the Jazz were targeting with that 27th pick. If they said, 
look, the league is trending towards shooters. There, there's clearly a, a a window for these guys that are a little bit smaller but can spread the floor beyond the NBA three-point range that can really step out the Steph Currys, the Seth Currys, the Trey Youngs of the world that can shoot from 35 feet comfortably. Like, that's a, that's a skill set now. Dame Lillard does it. That's kind of a weird skill set, and it changes the dynamic of the floor. And Terrell Terry kind of has this big swing upside. And actually, his downside is probably not terribly low because he can be a secondary ball handler. He's a good playmaker. And, and you know he's going to be able to shoot somewhat, even if he never turns into a defender. All right, I'm trying to push the envelope on this one. I think whether it's a young guy or a veteran, somebody needs to be taking 10,000 of those in the offseason and give the Jazz that opportunity. It's clearly where things are trending. And if you're Donovan Mitchell, the only thing cooler than uh, being in a five-on-five with uh, you know four people spreading the floor for you is to have somebody drag one of the guys out and turn it into a game of four-on-four. It's just more space. And people can't stay in front of him. So that's great. You got a nominee for a jazz player that could uh, be a reasonable threat to hit 35 or 40% from 30 or 35 feet? I mean, Donovan Mitchell's probably the best asset. And he's weird because, you, like you said, you kind of want to open up space for him. You don't necessarily want to put him, him to at 35 feet. Right. But, but, you know, Damian Lillard changes the game because he pulls you out that far. And then if you, if you take a step too close, he's got three more feet to beat you off the dribble to gain that momentum. And you're mm. not going to recover at that point. So, He's the guy currently on the roster that has that ability to do it. But, you know, I mean, I mentioned Peyton Pritchard. He could absolutely do it as well. I mean, he's as good a shooter as I've ever seen. You know, I look at this draft, and it's not like you can't get a really good player, really any draft for that matter, at the end of the first round. You know, you look at Jimmy Butler, and he was the last pick of the first round, right? And obviously he would go much higher. But I think you can get a player, and if you can get a player – that is in your rotation, even if it's just 15 to 20 minutes for 10 years, what difference does it make if he's 22 years old? I spent last night watching five hours of draft stuff. Oh, he's old, and he's 22 years old. Well, you're at the end of the first round. If you can get somebody, does it really matter if he's 22 and not 20? Because it doesn't to me. It's a weird value conversation and there's two ways to look at it first of all look at a guy like let's say josh green who we've talked about so josh green's a year old for his class and he's dominating guys that are in his same class but technically he's a year older than they are so i do think that has a little bit of value of saying okay how far does he actually project is he just beating up on guys younger than he is because they've only been playing good basketball at that point for what four years five years when they really got into the aau circuit and showed they had promise and he's beating up on people who are a little bit smaller than he is and then he gets to the NBA, and they're older than he is. Does that project that he's not going to be as good against bigger, better, older opponents versus a guy like Kyra Lewis, who's the point guard from Alabama, who's extremely young for his class? You remember Jamal Williams at BYU was super young. Everyone liked that. Kyra Lewis is kind of that same situation. He entered Alabama. I think he was 17 years old when he enrolled and started playing at 18. So he's only 19 now after his sophomore season and has been beating up and dominating guys older than he has his whole career. So I think there's benefits there. But, yeah, certainly you start looking at guys who played three years, four years. You know, Dwayne Wade played several years at Marquette and came in as you know, one of the best players in NBA history. It certainly doesn't mean you can't be good. But I think it's a good measure of are you beating up talent at the same age and are you going to continue to progress past that or have you been beating up on guys younger than you or older than you? That, that's where actually I think where the detail matters more so than, hey, you can't develop past 22. And speaking of older guys, Utah State fans would like to know, what do you think is going to happen with Sam Merrill? 
I definitely think he gets drafted. Uh, I don't think Yoli Childs gets drafted, but I think Sam Merrill was basically guaranteed to get picked up uh, probably in the 40s, maybe as high as the late 30s. Again, he's got an NBA skill. He can shoot, and not every second-round pick can say that. He really is, is one of the best shooters in the draft. Worst-case scenario, he's a guy who stands in the corner for you for you know eight minutes a game, six minutes a game, and he probably doesn't kill you on the defensive end because he's – He's kind of a big-bodied kid and can move his feet a little bit. He's not going to be a good defender in the NBA, but he's not, you know, he's not a dead fish out there. Like he, he will be able to provide something for you, and he can provide a little bit of ball handling. I don't think he's an elite ball handler or doesn't have the quickness really to play point guard, but he can help you. He's not going to get the ball stripped every time he touches it. So there's there's pieces to work with there. He doesn't have enormous upside because he is what he's 24. He's really old for his class because he went and served in mission, um, but. He, he's got something to offer, and the team is going to be willing to take a draft or, or a, a flyer on him, knowing that, hey, if he has to play in your G League for a year before he kind of gets up to speed and improves his body enough to make it in the NBA, he's probably worth doing that. But I, I, I see basically no situation where he doesn't get drafted. So I always have this internal conflict every year regarding these foreign guys because for every Luka Doncic, there is a bust uh, Darko Milicic and uh, Dragon Bender, and you know the list goes on and on. But there's also you can counter it with some stars, and, and obviously Doncic looks like he is just going to be a big time player. So this doesn't really relate to the Jazz. It's more of a general question as far as foreign guys because we're looking at this kid from Israel, and I've been reading about him for months now. Denny Avada, I think that's the way you pronounce it. And, you know, they're saying, oh, man, he could be, like, maybe a Doncic. And they go, whoa. What's your general take as far as your nervousness if you're an NBA GM, which obviously is one day you will be, as far as drafting these guys? I think now, more than ever, we have better intel on these guys. We've probably seen the talent in those leagues rise significantly to the point where it's more – I mean, it's better than college basketball is for a lot of these guys. Not everyone. You mentioned Pokashevsky earlier, who's playing with Olympiakos B, which is the second level, kind of their developmental league, which is not very good, which is, you know, it's probably closer to where Giannis Antetokounmpo came from. And obviously he blossomed into a star. It, it does kind of go back a little bit more to the traditional draft aspect of it, where it's a little bit more of a guess. I do think there was a little bit more of a home run swing on a lot of these guys, not all the time, but certainly on some of these guys, because it's hard to project perfectly what they're going to do coming over from Europe to the U.S. And, and the idea is, well, if your standard deviation of what they should be at the four pick is Avida is expected to be kind of right in that range, if his downside standard deviation is, oh, he was probably more worth the 11th pick. But the upside of that deviation is he's by far worth the, worth the number one overall pick, as was the case with Luka Doncic or Kristaps Porzingis. You get a chance to outdraft the value of that pick, if that makes sense. I, I think that's kind of where a little bit of the hope for these guys comes in. But the, the, the scouting is so good now. The intel is so good on these guys the number of American-born players that are playing overseas that draw maybe easier comparisons in competition or American coaches who are overseas. We know Quinn Snyder's gone and done that. I, I think we're getting better intel than ever before on these players, and it's probably less of a guess than it used to be. So looking at the NBA, uh, the Western Conference coming into this year here, assuming Houston is about to go through turmoil of either moving star players or having star players who don't want to be there, 
Uh, that could drop you. Oklahoma City, a lot of unknowns, new coach, change in personnel. They could drop. But we know the Warriors are coming up. We expect Portland is coming up, too. It's a full season of Nurkic ought to help them a lot. The Jazz and Mavs are hoping that young guys improve and they're getting better. Who are the top four in the West? I would think Lakers, Clippers, probably Denver. They've been there two years in a row, and they still, no, no, aside from Millsap, you know, everybody else ought to be good there. So the Warriors, if they bounce back and if they take Wiseman at the second pick, which I think they're going to do, how much does he help them right away and impact this season? How much is that not something the West has to worry about? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure if Wiseman plays his full season at Memphis if he's not just the, easily the number one overall pick. Like, he, he dominated in his few minutes. He's raw. There's questions about his understanding of the game, but he is so physically gifted that he kind of accidentally puts up 20 points and 14 rebounds. Blocks three shots. He's just kind of that guy. So you, you look at what Golden State's been able to do with some of these kind of rim-running lob catchers who's going to have the ability to play with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, these guys who open up the floor. He can do kind of two big stuff uh, with Draymond Green, which is going to be really helpful. Draymond's just an unbelievable passer. He just doesn't have to do much other than what he does great. So he can come in and I think actually help right away. The way we've seen kind of other bigs with not question marks, but just that aren't insanely talented come in and kind of flourish in that system because they're always the fifth best player on the floor. If the number two overall pick in the NBA draft is the fifth best player on your floor, He's going to be really good, and that's the advantage that the Golden State Warriors are going to have. So, yeah, they're very firmly back into this playoff conversation. Let's see what Steph looks like. I think they were smart to give him a full year off and let him not just get healthy, but but get rest and be ready to play for the rest of his career. Clay's going to be fine as well. Draymond's probably aging a little bit. We've seen the best of him, but he's still going to be very serviceable. So they're in that conversation for two, three, four. I think you're right. Let's see what happens with the Clippers. They keep being involved with this this Russell Westbrook conversation, which is weird to me and slightly desperate. They also made a coaching change. So let's see how that works out. And they're going to lose some pieces this offseason as well. Uh, so I, I think there's question marks. Denver's going to lose a couple of pieces, as you mentioned. But they're going to be good. And they're young. It seems like Jamal Murray's taking that next step. Mm-hmm. And then the Jazz, I think, are right in that conversation. I mean, I think this was always a two-year experiment for the Jazz with Mike Conley. And the first year, we probably should have expected there to be bumps and, and a learning curve and trying to some growing pains of how to get all these guys on the floor and get them to work together. And it's unfortunate you didn't see Bogdanovich in the postseason, but I think Mike Conley certainly found his footing in what Quinn Snyder wants him to do and how we can play next to Donovan Mitchell and operate. And those stats will fall back because it, it, uh, a guy like Bogdanovich is, is worth bringing in and taking some of those shots. But Conley should be much better this year throughout the season, assuming he can stay healthy than he was last year, and I wouldn't imagine a significant drop-off from Bogdanovich, certainly not from the injury, maybe a little bit because he's in his 30s now, but but he should still be very good. So the Jazz should be better than they were last year, and they went into the bubble with, what, the fourth-best record in the NBA, or I should say in the West. I, there's no reason to believe they won't be in that conversation again. Well, as always, we love having you on, Ben. Thanks for checking in with us and uh, giving Jazz fans something to uh, think about between now and 5.30 when things get going. Yeah, it should be a fun night. Thanks, guys. All right. Or, you know, 7 o'clock when the Jazz pick, 7.30, whatever it turns out to be. All right, DJ and PK, uh, we've covered a lot of ground here with David Nixon, Riley Jensen, Ben Anderson. We will get you all up to speed, everything you missed, next. Stay with us. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal!
with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. For Basketball Insiders, he is Eric Pincus. Jordan Clarkson is a free agent, and as you know, he was extremely key to the Jazz having success last year, and his role off the bench was desperately needed. How hard do you think it's going to be for the Jazz to retain him? How painful will that be? If they're serious about keeping him, then I, I feel like $13, $14, 15000000 million a year in that range is reasonable. That's not bad money right now. I don't know where his mind is and what he wants to do, but to me, I feel like $15 million a year is about right to make sure he doesn't leave and, and take a short-term deal in free agency. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah, you can say it was a gamble, but for me, I already figured out what was going to happen and me going there and what I was getting myself into. So it really wasn't a gamble for me. But just looking inside out, not knowing, you'll probably think it's a gamble. I feel like when you go overseas, it's a whole new different uh, style of play, something that you could just add to your arsenal. So I feel like it helped me in that aspect. That's LaMelo Ball right there talking about overseas instead of playing college ball. Uh, he got paid. He played against grown men, and it didn't hurt his draft stock. He's top three, PK. He might be number one. He's certainly top three. Yeah, and then mean he'll be a good player, but that's what it looks like for sure, that he's going to go in the top three. And, you know, he's got a big body, and, you know, we'll see what he can do. Uh, Andrew Bogut uh, was talking about him because they have some experience together in Australia. And he was saying, or somewhere overseas, he was saying that Ball already is an NBA elite passer. And obviously Andrew played a number of years with some great players in the league. So when he's throwing that out, that that certainly got my uh, ears perked up a little bit to think that, all right, this kid's an elite passer. Uh, but I think in today's game, too, you got to be able to shoot. Because if you got the ball in your hands a lot, you can't have them just – sagging off on you because then you end up with Ricky Rubio, a nice player, but you know you end up wanting something more because some games he ball goes in, some games it doesn't, and you need more consistency. So we'll see if he can have that. The big draft story of the morning is the Jazz making a trade. If you're just waking up to that, yes, the Jazz have already made a trade. They're moving the number 23 pick to the Knicks. They're getting back 27 and 38. I think this goes to a point you made earlier this morning. People don't like it when you make solid points. They'd rather have you mess around and then be able to yell at you. But sometimes you just go ahead and make solid points anyway and just screw everything up, PK. And what was it? Uh, the fact that every rotation has got to have, you can't pay everybody, and every rotation has to have a couple inexpensive guys in it. And this is how the Jazz have operated under Dennis Lindsay. It's how largely the league operates. And, you know, there was a time where Rudy Gobert gave him great value and he was very inexpensive, but he got off the rookie deal and got paid big money. Uh, Mitchell's at the same point. He's about to get off as he's been giving him great value, but he's about to be off his rookie deal and give him great money. There was a time where Joe Ingles was the inexpensive guy, and then he got his big yeah. money. Uh, and so you just keep going down the link. I guess Royce O'Neal would be going through that pipeline right now um, and, and helping them out. And I think with the three second-round picks last year and now getting a bonus pick here, that's an acknowledgment that we see something in these young guys we like. We know not they're not there yet. We're going to try and coach them up, but there are no guarantees. So give yourself options. I love to say life is about having options, right? So for the Jazz, it's like, okay, three guys last year, two or three guys this year. Let's see if they make another trade. And, you know, we'll have to see how all that plays out. But the goal is put more guys in the G League development pipeline and then you're not going to hit on them all, but if you hit on a couple of them, you got to have a couple of inexpensive guys in your rotation or 
A, your rotation is jacked up. B, your way over the luxury tax. You know, you got something bad going on. So, oh, yeah, you have to have that. I mean, even I think it crosses over sports. You look at when Seattle won its Super Bowl. Bingo. Uh, Good Russell call. Wilson was on a much cheaper scale than he is now. Yep. Yep. And Kansas City right now, right? And they got their quarterback on a rookie deal. They just signed him to the big extension. Um, but they got to an AFC title game in his second year and won the Super Bowl in his third. Yeah, if you can win early. Yeah, and they're I mean, cheap. And they, obviously yeah. they struck gold with those two guys, yeah. particularly with Wilson uh, as, a, as a third round pick, no less. I mean, Mahomes was way up there. Yeah, uh, but Wilson was way down, third round, I think it was, yep. and so saved the money, cashed in, and then then you got issues here. So you have to have the financial wherewithal and flexibility too. And here drafting now, you know, they should get two guys that at least can make an appearance. I'm ex- maybe I'm wrong, but I'm expecting these two pursue assuming that they don't make some other deals in and around because there's already talked that the Knicks with are going to move up, up again. Are going yeah. to flip. But you, you wonder with the Knicks, uh, you know, what do they want to do? They want to continue a, a, you know, a 32-year rebuild it seems like they're in. Yes. Yes, uh, I believe they do. <laughs> that were, I think is the goal. There were a lot of people with the Knicks who were disappointed they felt that they fell to eighth in that lottery. They thought they were going to be top four at worst. Yeah, and so, I mean, they need star power for that thing to work in that yep. city of all cities, obviously. So who's to say they keep their picks? But in my mind, and I, this might not be fair, but I'm expecting 27 and 38 to make more of a contribution in 2021 season than the picks they had last year. That may well be. I, I don't know because obviously we don't even know who the guys are yet. I think the key for the Jazz is is out of those five guys, if, if they could put two of those five guys in rotation, just stand up and start clapping. <laughs> it's like, right. which two it is, I don't care. But you need inexpensive guys in your rotation because you're paying other guys big, big money. But I, I meant compared to the contributions they gave last year. Yeah. Not the contributions they'll give this year because I expect them to do more. But I'm talking about but basically last year they didn't give any contributions to the, to the actual big league team, so to speak. Uh, you know, it was more about development. And, and I realize, you know, you, you, all young guys need the opportunity to develop. Not everybody can come in yeah. and be a Donovan Mitchell. And I mean, more more at this stage of the draft, at this part of the draft, more like a Gobert where it took some time. But at the same time, man, I'm getting way excited about the opportunity, especially with that first-round pick. I've already decided if they draft Desmond Bain at a TCU. You're going to go nuts? <laughs> I'm hugging my wife. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, for those of you who don't know. Adhere, but I might break rules and hug my wife in this situation. For those of you who don't know, Bain, TCU guy, 6'6", shot 44% from three. The college three, but nonetheless, he's got an act for shooting. So... Do you have an NBA skill? If you can find a guy with one NBA skill, then you coach up the rest of the stuff. And isn't he coached by your guy? My guy. Dixon? Oh, yes, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, my guy, yes. He was at UC Santa Barbara after me. Uh, he, but he oh, did after pass. you. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't know him personally. Oh, I thought he did. I know people who know him, and they really like the guy. Um, you know, we, we have people in common, but I don't know him personally. Okay. I was here when he was there, so. 
All right, other stuff we've talked about. In addition to the draft, we had Ben Anderson on, and we we went through all of that. And are the Warriors going to cash in on the second pick with Wiseman and be, you know, are are they top four? Are they top two? Are they going to get out of the West? Uh, Obviously, we have to see how much their stars, how healthy their stars are, how much they bounce back. But uh, plugging in one really good guy, this is, man, the Warriors, I wouldn't put it past them, PK. To what? To hit on one young guy and kind of rejuvenate him, give him a, a dose of athleticism. That that's a position that they've kind of won without. They've mixed and matched with guys in there and gone small and used Bogut for ten minutes and and then played real small. And what if they actually had a, a legit big guy who yeah, was really athletic? I that's an interesting concept because I don't know that they really want one. And with their makeup of the roster, I mean, I'm sure they want one, but with the makeup of the roster. With the shooters, would they be able to maximize that kid's ability, or does by definition he just becomes a a, a border and a screener and a flip it to the other side and then you know if you get the lob at the rim you dunk it and all that stuff. Maybe they can do it if they go with Wiseman and let him develop a little bit, and then Clay and Steph move old. They get older, yeah. And so as they fade out of their prime, this kid might be ready, but. You know, I wonder if that's if we're going to see that much anymore in this league, or at least for the short term. So I don't know how that's going to play. That, I don't that, either. That, that's why it's intriguing. Development. Right. That's why it's intriguing. You're right. Yeah. It absolutely could not work. It also could work spectacularly. Yeah, can you recognizing a, that ninety percent of the load is going to be carried by Stephen Clay? Can you have a great post player with those types of shooters? Uh, if he is uh, in that dunk spot on the baseline behind the backboard, I don't think he jams up the court. To your point, possibly he jams up the court. You know, what is his? I don't know that much about him. He's kind of a little bit of a mystery there. Uh, you know, because of how little college basketball. You know, he, he didn't get. Well, nobody got a full season. There's no NCAA tournament, but well, you get the three point. games, I think. Yeah, right. Um, so, what is his skill set, and what will it evolve to? Can he step out to ten or twelve or fifteen feet? He's got because he can't jam up the floor as much as Steph's a great perimeter shooter. You know, he's really good at beating you off the dribble. You know, and and you can't put a. You don't want to make it easy for him to put a shot blocker right at the rim on it. Right, but do I want this kid, who I think is going to be a decent player, do I want him taking 15 shots a game? No. Not, well, it uh, depends on how many alley-oop dunks he gets, I guess. I don't want to rule that out. But no, he's not a big scorer. But that's the thing is, if he gets seven shots a game and scores 10 points and is a rebounding machine and gives them some interior defense, they don't need that much if their guys come back anywhere oh, close yeah, to where they that, were. That's not a star, though. Even though he may have star capability, that's what I'm saying. Uh, The other NBA story, Gordon Hayward, former Jazz guy, pushing back the deadline. We're waiting for the trade. Atlanta, Indiana, somewhere else, but everyone's expecting him to move. And I know it's rude and you're not supposed to say this, but how much are Jazz fans just reveling in this? Because this Boston thing was just a major disappointment. Okay, interesting you say that because... Yes, reveling, but is it more revel or is it more relief that he didn't go there and get a title? I don't know that that was ever going to be a possibility. And if he got one, it was never going to be him leading the way. Well, the unfinished business continues. 
All right, we also talked college football this morning. Riley Jensen came in, our college football insider. Uh, he's a former Aggie, but he made points about the Utah and BYU program as well. Uh, his point is that the Utes are going to be just fine against USC. The D-line's going to be good. It's going to help the secondary. You don't have to be freaked out by the thought of a, of a future NFL quarterback and future NFL receivers lighting up an inexperienced secondary. Do you have 100% of the confidence he has? 80% of the confidence? 50% of the confidence? What do you think? Well, I believe that I like their defensive linemen because even though yeah. they sent three guys to the NFL off of that position or those positions, they still got some experience and it's spread out. So, yes, I think they'll be tough up front. I love Devin Lloyd as a linebacker. We'll see how Sewell is making the transition from DB to linebacker. They've had some good success with guys doing that in the past. So certainly Kyle knows what he's doing. And if this uh, Clark kid is what he – what's his name, Clark Phillips? If he's – what he's supposed to be and he's drawn comparisons to Jalen Johnson and uh, so that gives me somewhat of the field covered so yes I do have a fair level of confidence in their defense being good because I've seen it time and time again so I'm expecting it to be at least halfway decent they may give up some big plays SC's got they're not going to face a better core receivers they may never as long as they stay in college, they may never face a better core of receivers than what they're going to face, hopefully face, Saturday night. Well, they faced a pretty good core a year ago, and some of those guys, I mean, obviously St. Brown is back, and he had a touchdown catch in that game a year ago, and uh, Pittman was really good. He made a big play in that game a year he's ago. Gone. He's, he's gone. He's gone, right, gone. Yeah. 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 The other guys are back, and they've got some a couple of young guys. They're, they're just really good. All right, we talked some college football with him, and he also says uh, watch for BYU when they put those backup quarterbacks in. Quarterbacks don't go live very often, so uh, assuming that Zach Wilson and the first string go in there and uh, open up a big league quickly, you got to figure you're going to see second and third string guys, and, and the race is on for quarterback next year. You yeah, it- my, Actually, my guess is that you would only see Romney. I think Romney will just get the rest of the game. Well, Hall's not healthy, so yeah. I don't know that he's even Hall has play. not participated in practice since fall camp. So, right, so it's Romney. He's out, so then you're going to put in two freshmen. Soljay Mayava Peters. And by the time he comes in, all he's doing is handing off anyway. Exactly. That could be. You're right. And there may not be anybody around. All the, all the guys, all the first-team guys around him wouldn't be in, so it wouldn't, it could, wouldn't be apples and oranges as far as comparing them. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, your feedback. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Oh, boy, there we go. The move we've all been waiting for. Move down four picks in the draft. Who says the Jazz don't take chances and go after people? Thanks, Jazz. Bye. That's <laughs> Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Kenneth wants to complain about everything. Oh, they did trade up to get Gobert. What happened with Mitchell? How did that work? Do you remember PK? I think they. You mean in terms of how it worked? I think yeah. it worked rather well. Yeah, didn't they trade up to get him? That wasn't their own pick, was it? That was a draft was day not. trade with Denver. So now when you're in, they trade down. Oh, again. Well, well, thanks, Jazz. <laughs> I don't view draft entirely the way I do coaching hires and coaching hires. I always go neutral because you just don't know how it's going to turn out. There's been guys, Chip Kelly, not so good. Other dudes that were unheralded and actually won big, Pete Carroll, <laughs> and uh, in college and all that stuff. So you don't really know for sure. Uh, I don't. I don't have that same type of feeling with the draft. 
but it's somewhat similar. It's that, all right, you made your pick. Now i got to wait and see. And if the guy sucks, I'm going to be all over you. And if the guy's great, I'm going to give you all sorts of praise. You decide, basically, what I'm going to say. All right, we got people uh, weighing in here. Uh, John Wilner just tweeted out, BYU fans think Pac-12 news is all about BYU. Think John's been tweeted out enough by BYU fans? He tweeted out earlier this morning the Pac-12 is open to non-conference games. I think just by default, and you know Tom Homo addressed this earlier this year, he says, you know, as an independent, we can be quick, we can be nimble, and, I, and he says, I've talked to enough people around the country, I think people around the country are aware of that now. We, we can be Jack be quimp, quick, quick, Jack be nimble. What are you doing a nursery rhyme? A little bit, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Inspired by well, Tom, I've got to give, I've got to give Tom like twenty five percent of the residuals. I think the hammer, having worked in Arizona and California, has been a lot, been around a lot of BYU fans, and then with the advent of social media, has been contacted by a lot of BYU fans. Sure. A lot, and 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 it's great. That means people are caring about what you're saying and what you're doing. So don't take that as a negative. Uh, take that as a positive. And there's a lot of BYU fans that have a lot of passion. And well, so I also just on. don't see how the, you know, I guess you could say a Mountain West game would get canceled the same week as a Pac-12 and a Mountain West team might want to, or a Pac-12 team might just want to play a Mountain West team. Uh, so it could happen, but I just don't see who's going to be available on this side of the country on relatively short notice. I guess they could fly in uh, somebody from the other side of the country. Oh, why do that? I know, right. That's why I think it, it kind of is about BYU. Not that yeah. something couldn't happen in the Big 12 or the Mountain West and free up a team, because it, it could, but it just doesn't seem so likely. When somebody's in your face all the time, it gets old. Yes. So that's going to be your response. Yep. Uh, more people here. Uh, let's see. Yes, real quick, DJ, on that. Somebody tweeted back on that tweet from Wilner and said, BYU fan, and apparently the guy who originally tweeted at Wilner is a USC guy. So. Ah. <laughs> well, SC would like to boost its resume should it go undefeated, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And why not play the second-best team in the West, BYU? Behind? SC! That's what we thought. <laughs> Let's wait for ASU, but... Oh, no. They, they, I, I, they're... They're going to not. You know how somebody hits 340, but he doesn't have enough at bats to qualify? <laughs> That's ASU. <laughs> That's what they're going to be. If they should have a good record uh, percentage wise, they're not going to have enough at bats to qualify, nor should they if you're only playing three or four games. Uh, Gary says, Do you think that uh, Golden Haywood coming back to Utah Jazz this season? Uh, no, I don't think he's coming back to Utah Jazz this season. Do you, PK? It's way too much cash. Yeah. Uh, when is the NBA coming out with a 2021 schedule? Uh, end of the month, December 1st-ish, start of training camp-ish. And it'll be half of the schedule. They've already said they're going to hold on to the second half yeah. and see which games they might need to reschedule. And, in there. and the first guy who tells us that the Jazz got a bad deal on the schedule, I'm going to go crazy on <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're out of time. Hans and Scott are up next. We'll see you.